welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Today we want to address the question, how do we as Christians impact our culture with biblical truth? As we process what happened in the last election and the storming of the Capitol since, Christians are divided. Eschewing passivity, many believers feel impelled to speak up on the social media to fight a movement rooted in ungodliness which they see shaping our culture. They are appalled that younger Christian leaders either don't seem to see this happening or seem to lack the courage to speak up about it. Others are horrified at the views they hear expressed by Christians on social media, which exhibit a kind of Christian nationalism and exhibit Christianity as a bunch of people who are combative toward those with whom they disagree, violating Christ's clear command to love your neighbor, not to mention loving your enemy. This episode continues our series, Winning Spiritual Battles Because We Use Our Spiritual Weapons, by examining how to encircle ourselves with the belt of God's truth, which must be the starting point for sharing that truth in the culture, then we will consider how to be persuasive as salt and light in the culture, and in particular, the dangers of being right, but sharing truth in a harmful rather than a compelling way. Thanks for joining us today for season number two, episode number 11 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. What do you think is the answer to the question, is our mission today as Christians living in America to recover America as a Christian nation? In my view, the correct answer can only come from understanding what Jesus meant when he gave us our mission, saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God, which Jesus proclaimed and about which Paul spoke, was not the church, a spiritual kingdom up in heaven, a future political kingdom of Israel, or America. The kingdom was Adam's kingdom, the earth, the development and shaping of which had been assigned to Adam and Eve, but usurped by Satan, sin, and death. Jesus, the second Adam, has redeemed Adam's kingdom from its slavery to these forces and begun to make all things new. The reign of Jesus among human beings first begins in the human heart with trusting Jesus' death alone as the atoning sacrifice for our sins and turning our hearts to love the high king, our redeemer, with all of that heart. That is why seeking first the kingdom begins with leading others to faith. But second, Jesus' summary of kingdom life in Matthew 5-7 through reflects an astonishing transformation of human attitudes and values, accomplished by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, given to believers as a down payment on the final work of redemption, making us unable to sin when Christ returns. This transformation of our character to be like Jesus is kingdom work. Jesus is much more concerned about fixing our heart attitudes than fixing the rest of the culture. Seeking the reign of Jesus among humans continues thirdly, as we are called to seek justice and wholeness over every part of earth by influencing each part of the world around us to be aligned with righteousness, which is synonymous for God's original design before the fall. 
This transformation spreads to the whole earth, not just our nation. Christ followers cannot view the USA as a special nation that has received a special blessing from God. Our nation is, in my view, exceptional. It has certainly been blessed by God because, by God's grace, its founders aligned our Constitution with many biblical principles. But we are no more special to God than any other nation. Our efforts in prayer and as responsible citizens to influence our culture toward righteousness please God. That is a core part of our mission. Yet history records that despite fervent prayer and efforts to influence their culture and political systems by Christians of every nation, a rejection of biblical truth and an unjust political system often prevails, the suffering from which God uses to grow Christ followers to become more like Jesus. So, the correct view of advancing the kingdom of God on earth is not being silent on the issues of justice and righteousness in our culture. It is not separating from the culture because God has given up on America and everything is going to go downhill until Christ's return. Such a view of withdrawal from culture is disobedience to God's command to Adam and his race to shape culture for his glory. Nowhere does the Bible say God has given up on this world or this culture or this country. At the same time, seeking to influence the culture for truth must never mean doing that in a way that sounds like Christian nationalism. We must not isolate ourselves from opportunities to influence the world around us. Our fundamental calling is to shape culture. But now may be a great time to reevaluate how Jesus taught us to go about influencing those around us with biblical truth. Advancing biblical truth in the culture begins by encircling ourselves with the belt of truth and exposing everything we believe to the searchlight of God's Word. Whether we grew up in a majority or minority culture, in material abundance or poverty, inside or outside the church, are white, black, Hispanic, or Asian, we must reevaluate the given assumptions we grew up with through the lens of Scripture. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, says Paul. Here are four ways to put on the belt of truth and why we need to do it. First, the belt of God's truth is needed to fix our wrong thought patterns. One of the consequences of the fall is that our sinful nature unconsciously causes us to suppress the truth. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, writes Paul, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Putting on the belt of truth means immersing ourselves in Scripture. We must reprogram our minds because they have been corrupted by the lies of the evil one and of the fallen middle, lower, or upper class culture, which has shaped us. Do not be conformed to this world, writes Paul, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Tony Evans, in his book, Victory in Spiritual Warfare, writes, When you align your mind, will, and emotions— under God's view on a matter, his truth, he will then empower you to fight your spiritual battles with the freedom of great mobility 
and increased stability. By knowing and functioning according to the truth of God, you will be on your way to experiencing victory over anything or anyone seeking to overcome or defeat you. Second, putting on the belt of truth requires Christ followers to be known as those who are honest to the core. Both the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, and the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, require us to be scrupulously honest. Paul commands the Ephesian believers, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Paul is not saying it's wrong to tell white lies to surprise someone, nor for the offense to try to deceive the defense about what it's doing, nor that we should ignore healthy relational boundaries to share intimate details of our lives with strangers, nor that we have to be so brutally honest that we tell everyone things that might hurt them. But Jesus is truth, and we cannot harbor dishonesty and walk with him. The third practical way to put on the belt of truth is wanting others to help us see truth we don't see. It begins with a humility that recognizes that we only see part of the picture. For husbands, it means listening carefully to your wife's opinion about decisions. For majority culture Christians, it means exposing ourselves to brothers and sisters in minority subcultures. As we are able, it means knowing how Christians in other countries of the world live out their obedience to seek first the kingdom of God. It certainly means promoting worldwide missions that believe God has gifted every portion of the globe with cultural and natural resources to be developed and enjoyed by the rest of the world for God's glory. In our individual lives, it means seeking wise counsel, having a teachable spirit, and being open to rebuke. Everyday Christian men fail morally, relationally, spiritually, and financially, not because they set out to fail, not because they don't work very hard, but because of their blind spots. The reality is that our mind has been so corrupted by the fall, and we are so easily self-deceived that we need regular soul contact with a brother in Christ. Speaking the truth in love, writes Paul, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Poor is the man who has no brother to deliver him from his self-deception by speaking truth into his life. Fourth, putting on the belt of truth means exposing the world and life views around us to the scrutiny of God's word. As men, we are to answer God's calling given to Adam to be protectors of the garden. This means protecting our wives and children from the destructive lies of the father of lies from their own fallen nature that seeks to suppress truth, and from ungodly thinking from fallen culture, all of which will mold them into a rebel against God if we do nothing. Paul describes this everyday battle and the power of God's truth to tear down the lies of the culture. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's worth noting, however, that this description of the spiritual battle for truth concerns combat that takes place in the minds of Christians. The context here is inside the church. But is battling for truth 
the right description of what Scripture says about influencing non-Christians around us and shaping our part of the culture. In his book, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable, Steve Brown says, Being right is extremely dangerous for a Christian, and in fact may be the most destructive danger a Christian ever faces in communicating to those who do not want to hear. In Matthew 23, Jesus says to the disciples and the crowds, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. The Pharisees were right in their orthodoxy. Yet Jesus said their moral stench was like that of a rotting body. They are the example of what Bible-believing Christians risk becoming like. So in the remainder of the podcast, I want to address two dangers of being right. First, the danger of being right but undiscerning in sharing biblical truth. And second, the danger of being right but being unpersuasive in sharing truth. So first, the danger of being undiscerning in sharing biblical truth. Jesus said, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Matthew 7, 6. Jesus is not calling those made in God's image dogs or pigs. He is focusing on these two creatures' inability to recognize the value of spiritual truth. Jesus commands us in the Sermon on the Mount not to indiscriminately throw out biblical truth to those who can't see its value. The depth of the biblical truth we share with others should be linked to the spiritual condition they are in to receive it. To be honest, I hadn't thought much about this until recently, but that's what Jesus did. He said things like, let him who has ears to hear, hear. He spoke in parables to the crowds, but explained them to his disciples. He addressed the sins of the scribes and Pharisees one way, and those of the woman at the well another way. When examined about his true identity by Pilate, Jesus had a meaningful six-verse discussion about his kingship. But when asked the same questions by Herod, who was just looking for signs and wonders, Jesus did not speak a word. I presume that somehow he detected that Pilate would value the biblical truths about himself, but that Herod would not. So Jesus refused to cast his pearls before Herod. How do we follow Jesus' example? One scholar writes, We Christians must be careful in what we say, how we say it, and even if we are to say it at all. Jesus cautioned that we should not give dogs what is holy, nor throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The truth we have is precious, dangerous, and explosively powerful in the way it can heal or hurt. Christians should be passionate about standing for righteousness in a culture that they see losing its biblical moorings. Believe me, I am still trying to figure out what this means and very much admire Christians taking such stands. But it must be asked, how does posting biblical teaching about God's design of gender roles, adultery, and homosexuality on Facebook or Twitter follow the principle of only casting biblical truths to those who are ready to value it? I realize pro-life Bible-believing Christians are unfairly accused of intolerance, but 
Could it be that Jesus knew that throwing biblical truth out to people in general before they are ready to value it might actually cause them to stomp it into the ground, turn on you, and not ever be able to see it again? Here are some practical thoughts about testing whether a non-believer is at a place where he will value your biblical truth. When asked, Christians can say, yeah, I'm a believer, and it's the most important thing in my life. If you ever want to hear about it, just ask, and I'll tell you. Or, in my case, as a religious professional, when I'm asked what I do, I sometimes answer, I tell people who want to hear about Jesus. Or perhaps when Christians think they have a message that will help someone in trouble, they can say, if you want me to, I'll be happy to share it with you. Permission opens the door to speaking truth. If permission is not given, silence is a good practice. So the first danger of knowing biblical truth is that in wanting to stand for righteousness, we may think we are supposed to indiscriminately post God's truth. The second danger of being right is being right but unpersuasive in sharing truth. Here are five mistakes Christians make in seeking to advance a biblical worldview. First, expecting to win people to embrace biblical truth through logical argument. When it comes to influencing culture, I naturally default to thinking this means winning the arguments with those espousing an ungodly worldview. But how effective can we expect a logical argument to be on social media or in a public forum when God tells us the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned? The second mistake we can make in seeking to share a biblical worldview is thinking that our goal is reaching their head when it is actually to reach their heart. Since our objective must be reaching their hearts, might our time be better spent weeping for the lost, pouring out our tears and prayer for them because they cannot see the destructive nature of their lifestyle than time spent shaping an argument to prove their lifestyle is wrong, which they already know because the moral law of God is written on their heart. Such prayer will make our hearts tender towards them, and God just might answer those prayers. After all, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Moreover, it might just be because our goal is winning the hearts of the lost, that when Jesus tells us to be salt and light, he doesn't tell us to use words at all. He says, let them see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The third mistake we can fall into is being selective about the sins we confront. Steve Brown says, Christians have to speak truth about what is and what is not sin. However, people will stop listening, and rightly so, when they see how selective the list is. Smoking dope, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality make the list. But somehow racial injustice, materialism, self-righteousness, gluttony, and pride tend to get a pass. Such selectivity nearly guarantees that Christians will not reach anyone but church people as they try to influence their culture. The fourth mistake we make in seeking to advance biblical truth 
is the failure to value God's common grace toward our culture. The doctrine of common grace means God prevents Adam's fallen race from being as evil as we could be. He grants power to all humans to, in some measure, overcome the race's total corruption by sin and, being made in God's image, to impact Adam's kingdom, earth, in a positive way, helping it reach its full and morally good potential, making good products, passing just laws, rewarding good behavior, caring for the needy, punishing some evil behavior. When Christians never affirm the good accomplished by non-Christians or the secular culture, but always attack them, it's like saying to a musician friend, I hate music, or a football player, I think football's dumb and teaches violence. Christians seem to always be putting down non-Christians and their world. How effective is that for winning friends and influencing people? The fifth mistake we make in seeking to advance biblical truth is the failure to say, me too. My default thinking is, to draw people to Christ, I need to grow to be more holy, like Jesus. Then they will see him in me. But I think in reality, what seemed to draw people to Jesus was not his moral perfection, but that he identified with them. The word became flesh. Jesus sympathizes with weaknesses because in every respect he has been tempted as we are. What will draw non-believers to us is not our righteous life. Many non-Christians think Christianity is for good people anyway, and not them. Identification with others is what builds bridges. Here are some practical ways to do that. First, identify with being a sinner and be astounded that God loves you anyway. Second, identify with weakness. Resist sending the message, I have it together. Third, identify with doubt. I doubt that God is good and the Bible is true a lot. Fourth, identify with being normal. Don't send the message, Christians are weird. Fifth, identify with worry. I worry about how my kids are going to turn out a lot. Finally, identify with failure. I mess up so often as a husband, it's a miracle my wife hasn't left me. By God's grace, I may be right about God's truth in our culture, but that doesn't mean anybody's going to listen to me. To summarize this episode, to win the spiritual battles men are called to fight, we need to first fasten the belt of truth around ourselves, which means first repairing faulty thought patterns by immersing ourselves in God's Word, second, having a reputation for being honest to the core, third, wanting others to help us see truth that is missing in our vision, fourth, exposing the worldviews of the surrounding culture to the truth of Scripture. We noted that tearing down wrong thinking identified in 1 Corinthians 10 is battling for truth in our own minds and within the church. Rather than a combative attitude toward the world, Jesus modeled and taught us that winning others to embrace biblical truth is persuasion, not combat. It requires identifying the hearer's ability to value what we share. We increase our persuasion power by identifying with our hearer. Admitting our own sin, weaknesses, doubts, worries, and failures. And it doesn't hurt to let him see that we are not weird 
but normal. For further prayerful thought, number one, which aspect of fastening the belt of truth around ourselves stood out to you? See your program notes for additional questions. Next week, we continue our series, Winning Spiritual Battles, because we use our spiritual weapons by looking at what it means, practically speaking, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. For a little more detail about today's subject, the belt of armor, mentioned by Paul in Ephesians 6.14, see podcast season number one, number 24, on April 19, 2020, entitled, How to Fasten the Belt of Truth for Spiritual Battle. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about this series, Winning Spiritual Battles, because we use our spiritual weapons. Oh,